Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Dave Huggins. Dave is a USDA ARS soil scientist and research leader of the Northwest Sustainable Agroecosystems Research Unit in Pullman, Washington. He obtained his PhD at WSU and has been working with conservation farming systems and precision agriculture for 39 years. His research specialties include soil carbon sequestration, nitrogen use efficiency, and soil health. Hello, Dave. Yeah, hi, Drew. So, um... We just kind of finished up harvest here not too long ago, and as, as I drove around, I noticed uh, people with balers out there, baling straw, people out there with dis- disking straw, and it, it seems like this time of year we always come up with uh, questions about straw production, uh, should you be taking it off, should you not be taking it off. To start off, how, how much residue does wheat actually produce? Yeah, Drew, a good question, and and you're right. There's just a considerable amount of uh, of uh, thought about and activity concerning uh, straw removal from fields, and also either mechanically via harvesters, you know, and baling operations, or or burning as well. And uh, so when we start talking about well, how much residue does wheat produce? The the kind of the rule of thumb is for every bushel that you have, there's a hundred pounds of residue. So let's just use an example of a 100-bushel winter wheat crop that would produce about 10,000 pounds of residue or about 5 tons of of residue. Of course, that varies considerably across the field and and can be much more than that in high-producing areas and then much lower than that in low-producing areas. It seems to me that um, when the rains come can affect that, you know, so if if you're Sometimes you can have uh, really low yielding, but lots of straw. There's right. a lot of variables, but it, so 100 pounds is a good rule of thumb. Yeah, but, but that's all it is. It's a rule of thumb. It's it just vary. a rule of thumb. And again, you're right. You know, it comes back to the harvest index. You know, right. how much grain is produced. You know, divided by the amount of residue in grain. That's called the harvest index, and that can vary quite a bit depending on where you are in the field, even, and then the kind of year that we've had. Okay, so. How much residue is needed to maintain soil organic matter? Do we need all that uh, five tons from that 100 bushel, or can some of it come off and some of it remain, or do do we know that? Yeah, good question. Um, If you look at the amounts of residue that needs to be returned to the soil every year in order to maintain soil organic matter, it comes up to about uh, uh, 4,000 to 5,000 pounds, or two to two and a half tons of residue. That's every year, okay? So so you have to consider not just the winter wheat crop, but the other crops that are also in sequence or in rotation that you may have and whether or not they're meeting that bar in terms of, 
of uh, residue production. And of course, you know, if you're fallowing, of course, there's no residue produced that year. So you have to have other years that kind of compensate for the lack of residue that's produced. Also, grain legumes tend to produce a lot less residue, as everyone knows. So, you know, a ton of garbs, for instance, can produce maybe 2,000 to 3,000 pounds of residue. So you'd only have like a ton or so of of uh, residue during that portion of the cropping uh, sequence that you may have. So you need two, two and a half tons. And I just mentioned for 100 bushels, we got five tons. So we've got for the winter wheat residue production, we're probably twice as much as we need for that year. But then you have to start thinking about the other years. And often the winter wheat has to compensate then for other crops in the rotation that don't produce enough residue in order to maintain that soil organic matter levels that you currently have. And of course, you can also say, okay, do we have enough soil organic matter now? <laughs> and, and over time, of course, we've you know declined in soil organic matter, and we still are across the, the Palouse. So there's definitely locations where we don't have enough soil organic matter, particularly those, you know, those upland positions that have been historically eroded, et cetera, and don't produce enough or a, a large amount of residue even now, just because they've been impacted in terms of their yields. So, so yeah, it, to answer your question, there's portions of the field where we'd really like to have, at least in the annual cropping region, about 3% organic matter. And we're not there in terms of the amount of organic matter now. And if we're harvesting from those low yielding areas, that really still, you know, projects us downward from the standpoint of soil organic matter. Whereas some of our bottoms, of course, where we produce lots of organic matter, you know, lots of residue, then uh, it's not as much of a concern in terms of, of maintaining those soil organic matter levels there because a lot of residue is often produced if we're not following. Okay. So in a lot of these systems, <laughs> we aren't producing a lot of excess uh, residue, in a, if you think across the whole system, uh, three-year rotation here in the high, high rainfall uh, or intermediate or the two-year rotation out, out west. So, um, Yeah, definitely if you have fallow in the rotation at all, you're not producing enough residue if you're harvesting residue. And that, yeah. I think I mentioned already that the harvesting is about 50% efficient. So, you know, that can change, too. There's some baling operations that are more efficient than that, upwards of 75% or more. And in those cases, even more residues being removed. So that's kind of the assumption based on, on or that's the, the data based on that assumption of harvest efficiency. And you're right. Um, the winter wheat kind of compensates a lot in terms of the residue that we produce to to make up the difference in terms of what we need per year when we have low residue crops like grain legumes or fallow. If we're stuck about canola or spring wheat, we produce just about the right amount to maintain. If we're looking okay. at about a ton or more, then we're, we're, we're probably maintaining levels of, of, uh, of residue in, for those particular crops in rotation. Okay. So in addition to um, carbon for soil health, soil organic matter, um, residue also contains nutrients that they don't all get transferred into the grain. Some of it's still in the straw. How, how much nutrient are we is in the straw, and how much are we hauling off then if we take take the straw off? Yeah, so you can look at the concentrations of various nutrients that are in the straw itself. And you're you're right. Uh, uh, some of the nutrients, uh, particularly nitrogen, et cetera, a lot of that is translocated up to the grain. And so the concentrations in the residue itself tend to be pretty 
pretty small in those cases, but then we're hauling off a lot of, of residue. And so we can kind of go through with that 100 bushel example again. So, so say we have, uh, you know, 10,000 pounds of residue. And if you look at carbon that you mentioned first, it's about 43%, uh, the residue is about 43% carbon. So, so from that standpoint, that's, you know, what, 4,300 pounds of carbon that's produced, and then you'd be hauling off about half of that in a typical baling operation. And that is about, you know, it's about a little over 2,000 pounds of carbon that you'd be hauling off. And that is about, and, and leaving as well. <laughs> and, and so that is about the amount of carbon that you would need to maintain organic matter levels. Um, but again, uh, remember that this carbon, it's reduced carbon, this is the source of food for all our, our microorganisms that are decomposing uh, residues, they're releasing nutrients, et cetera, and a healthy soil really needs these carbon inputs in order to remain healthy. It's a real driver of, of soil health and soil organic matter. And so, you know, that carbon source is, is, a, really, is, a, is a really important one from the standpoint of uh, producing, uh, uh, being food for a lot of microbes. Um, nitrogen, uh, the concentrations are going to go way down, about 0.4%, okay? Residue is typically about 0.4%. So going back to our example of 100 bushel of wheat, 10,000 pounds of residue, that's about 40 pounds of nitrogen that's standing in that standing residue that's out there. And if we take half of that, that's about 20 pounds then that's being removed in a typical baling operation. So again, 0.4% uh, small. You can do the math yourself in terms of, of um, um, how many you know, um, bushels per acre you're producing and how much residue that, that, uh, that uh, represents. And you know, for that 100 bushel residue, the kind of the rule of thumb there would be about uh, 40 pounds of nitrogen and about half of that with a 50% baling operation. Um, moving on to phosphate, that's even a less concentration in the residue. It's about 0.15%. So it doesn't sound like very much, but when you start multiplying it by 10,000 uh, pounds, then that is about 15 pounds of phosphate that's in that residue for that 100 bushel crop. And again, half of that, you know, seven, eight pounds would be hauled off in terms of a baling operation. Uh, sulfur, it's about 0.1%. And uh, so again, we got about 10 pounds then of sulfur that's actually in that residue and about half, five pounds or so that would be hauled off in a bailing operation. And then uh, potassium is another one and it's a little bit interesting in that potassium occurs as a, as a free ion and much of it doesn't go up into the grain, it remains in the residue itself. And there, the residue is about 1%, give or take, of, of uh, of a potash, and so there's about 100 pounds then of, of potash in the residue. But that's before it rains. <laughs> and since it's a free ion in the residue, if we have uh, you know upwards of a half inch of rain or more, then much of it gets basically leached right out of that residue and goes back into your soil. And so, so consequently, if you're harvesting after it rains, <laughs> <laughs> which no one likes to do, and, uh, and taking the residue off, then it's going to have a lot less potassium in it. Uh, but if it's before, if it's dry conditions and we're hauling it off, then yeah, about 1%, and that's about 100 pounds or about 50 pounds of, of potash that's being taken off. Um, many of our soils have a lot of potash in them, and, and so it may not be a concern, particularly as we go west, but there are upland areas and eroded areas in our fields now that are potassium deficient, and we're seeing more applications of, of potash 
for a fertilizer in those locations. Okay. So um, sounds like that's something growers should really factor in as they're thinking about removing straw. Just what is it going to cost me to replace those nutrients? And can all of them actually be replaced before they decide they're going to uh, haul off their straw for, for some other reason? Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, I'm a soil scientist too, so it's definitely a, a soil scientist perspective. There's a lot of, there's trade-offs here for mm-hmm. sure, you know, in terms of removing residue definitely can facilitate subsequent tillage or, or planting operations. And so, you know, there's there's definitely reasons why farmers would want to remove residue just from a logistic production perspective. But from a soils perspective and from a the standpoint of maintaining soil organic matter, Soil erosion also starts to figure into here if you don't leave enough residue that's there to cover the ground in subsequent tillage operations, uh, then you are going to have to look at, you know, maintaining at least 30% to cover to prevent uh, erosion uh, for residue cover of soil. And, and there's other factors, too, that are, you know, less tangible. Leaving standing residue in the field tends to capture snow. And so you have much less variable snow distribution across your field if you have standing residue. And that can be beneficial for some of those upland areas in terms of recharging those soils. Uh, Interestingly enough, even in the annual cropping area, some of those upland positions don't recharge as much as they could simply because, particularly if much of the precipitation in the winter is coming as snow, it blows off, et cetera. But the standing residue helps to hold it in place and can contribute quite a bit of of soil water storage during those years. And, you know, so, yeah, and the replacement value, you know, looking at those nutrients, of course, depends on the cost of those various nutrients. But you can start to add it up, and it can add up. And... Will that occur that year, you know, directly? No, a lot of those nutrients in the residue cycle over time. Uh, But if we remove residues, you know, year after year, then we'll definitely be impacting soil organic matter levels as well as the nutrients that were in those residues over time. Okay. We've kind of focused on uh, baling or uh, straw, but you mentioned earlier burning. How how does burning compare... The baling, uh, I know there's probably a lot of variability, right? You can have a really good burn, but, you know, good. Yeah. Burn. You can have something that burns a lot more uh, residue than another burn might have. But in in general, how do, do you have a sense for how those two things compare, burning versus baling? Yeah, it's a good question, um, and you're right. Um, a fall burn can can be a hot burn and and burn more residue than say a spring burn, which kind of refer as a, a cold burn, or if the residue is wet, can be a pretty cold burn. If you look at, but the burning doesn't, as everyone uh, most most of you probably know, the burning isn't a hundred percent efficient. It's not like it's going to burn all your crop residue in that field. And in fact, we've done studies on this, and and often we're looking at, you know, on average sixty to seventy percent of the of the residues being burned. And, you know, of course, it leaves behind the ash. So it's a whole different process rather than, than baling as a direct re- physical removal, right? The burning, our losses are due to the oxidation, basically, of nutrients that are in that residue and, and the carbon. So that happens during the burning process. And then we also experience losses with 
the soot that comes off of there. So they're, they're kind of the particulates that are in the smoke that we also lose. And this was something that actually took us by surprise. And that's a major loss of potassium that goes out through, through the through the uh, the burning process, just in the in the soot, the smoke that's that's uh, leaving the the field, and and we can lose about forty pounds of, of potash that way per acre uh, with a burning process in the fall. Now in the spring, if we do that same burn, the 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 potash loss goes from forty pounds down to about three pounds because what happens during the course of the winter is that the water comes, leaches the residue, and it takes the, the potash right out of, out of that straw. So that's returned then to the, the soil itself. So the timing of that burn has an impact on, on what kinds of losses we have in terms of, of, of uh, carbon in particular, but also some nutrients. Now, nitrogen uh, losses, we've done field scale averages. You're looking at between 10 and 15 pounds of nitrogen loss. Uh, phosphate, much less, about one pound or so, as well as sulfur, about the same. About It's in that one pound range. So pretty low levels for the most part in terms of, of losses. They accumulate. But, you know, and then the, the yeah, so so that kind of gives you a, a, an indication. The bailing is probably a little bit higher losses overall um, uh, from the standpoint of nutrient export than the burning it, itself. Okay. So just something growers need to be aware of, that there may be reasons, financial or otherwise, for bailing, but that they should be aware that there are some costs, particularly in the long term, with soil health and nutrients. Is that fair to say? That's correct. And, I, and I'd add in, you know, just the water conservation and the soil conservation mm-hmm. aspects of it in terms of erosion processes that need to be considered, as well as just water, uh, water conservation. All right. Well, important topic. Um, Thank you for spending some time with us to talk to us about crop residue and the effects of removing it from our fields. Yep. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon. That's L-Y-O-N at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.